Hi everyone, I'm Jennifer, the host of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai, where we're going to talk about the Japanese concept of Ikigai or living a life of purpose. Here you're going to hear inspirational stories from all different types of people who are finding their own life of purpose. You're going to hear about how they found their Ikigai and what they do every day to live an integrated life. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai, wherever you are watching or listening to this episode. It's episode five. And uh, wherever you are in the world, I am very happy to introduce you to someone I've never actually met in real life. We are Zoom buddies only. And uh, this is Dr. Justin Sanders. He's the director of Temple University's Japan Continuing Education Program. And the reason that I was so interested in Justin, and I'm going to call you Justin, not that Dr. Sanders. I know that we, of course, need to use people's titles, but for our conversation today, um, let's uh, let's be first name basis. So when we were first talking um, about this podcast, it was really interesting to hear about how continuing education can support Ikigai in two ways. One, as being of itself, you know, the thirst for learning, the thirst for knowledge, being its ikigai. And then on the other side as well, if there's something that you're feeling this call towards, you're feeling that you you want to learn more about, you want to get more skill set, but you don't quite have it right now, that continuing education, whether it's going back and doing a bachelor's or doing one of the continuing education programs at places like Temple University, um, how that can help you uh, with that. But in today's uh, episode, we're going to look at just in kind of two two lenses. We might jump in between the two and uh, it will be chaos, but we'll find out what happens. Uh, first is for you as an individual about your Ikigai. What's your purpose? Why are you here? And then a little bit more about this role of continuing education and lifelong learning in supporting listeners' uh, Ikigais. So let's start with the man, the man behind the myth. Uh, Justin, tell me a little bit about your, yourself and, and what, what your Ikigai is and why you're here today. Sure. Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Jennifer, for having me today. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, as an academic, or I've, I've sort of given a lot of presentations, um, conferences, and, and regarding different things, but the topic was always something very much other than myself. Um, so I'm, I'm a little bit... Uh, uh, I don't know, nervous, excited <laughs> yeah. today, like an excited energy to, to, to talk about something a little bit more personal. Um, so I really appreciate the, the opportunity uh, to do this. Um, so myself, you know, I'm, I'm fairly average upbringing, like very much uh, middle income, middle class uh, suburbs of, of California and, and uh, went to public school my whole life and, and everything. And, uh, you know, I, I found myself um, uh, doing two things, sort of, um, as a high school student, as an undergrad. Uh, one was uh, working a lot with international students. Um, I, I, I sort of hosted one um, by accident, completely by accident when I was <laughs> in high school. And this sort of set me on this path towards, um, you know, being a global citizen and, and a, a deep passion for international education and what that can do. Um, and uh, so I was always very interested in the international. Um, and then as an undergraduate, um, I didn't really have a strong sense of 
uh, what my future direction in life was going to be or anything like that. And I was in this political science course uh, and they asked, uh, we had a homework assignment and said, you know, pick a, uh, what you see as the, the biggest challenge um, facing the world today and, and offer up some possible solutions uh, to solve that challenge. And so I go home and I'm, I'm thinking about this, this homework assignment and, um, you know, there's all kinds of problems, right? Uh, AIDS epidemic at that time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we were already aware of global warming at that time. Um, various conflicts going on around the world, um, social inequality was growing, and I started to realize that, that no matter what topic you pick, uh, at some level that can be tied directly back to education. Um, right. So whether it's a, a medical issue, uh, you know, like now with, with COVID, for example, uh, these sort of global pandemics and, and health uh, issues are on everybody's mind, mm. um, and that can be tied to the education of public awareness, um, helping people understand what they need to do to keep themselves as safe as they can um, and to, to be responsible for other people. The, the vaccines and the, the treatments that come out of it um, are very much grounded in the medical research and education that happens at institutions like universities. Um, and you, know, you, can, you can talk about the same thing with armed conflicts, uh, people getting educated to the point where you know, they are able to see things from multiple perspectives. And, and so global warming, you know, it's an education issue again about, you know, what can we be doing to stop this? And uh, so I sort of realized at that time that, um, you know, if I, if I did something in that field, um, then I would be able to basically go to bed every night uh, knowing that, that I'm at least, you know, pushing things in, in the right direction. Um, and it leaves you uh, really wide open. So I, I developed this passion for education, knowing that I could basically do anything. I could work almost in any different sector um, and still stay tied to that uh, somehow. Um, and so that, that led me on this path. Um, shortly after I graduated from university, um, I joined the Peace Corps, which is a US government volunteer organization. Yeah. Uh, and I spent two years living and working in rural Azerbaijan um, at a uh, sort of elementary secondary school. Um, teaching English there uh, was my, my primary mission, but what I found is that I actually enjoyed really working with the other um, instructors in Azerbaijan and, and then eventually at a, at a national level in the country. And so, um, when we think of education, we have this concept of the classroom uh, traditionally, right? Most people think of, okay, uh, sitting in a class, students, teacher, lecturing, um, but uh, that experience working with the other educators sort of again broadened my conception of, of what um, education could mean. Uh, and when I came back to the United States, I found myself in Washington, DC, working with the Association of Community College Trustees. So I was working to help educate um, the governing boards of community colleges around the country. Um, so to help them uh, more effectively understand their roles as policymakers and, and what the difference was between administration and support their institutions. Um, a lot of people don't realize this, but community colleges represent uh, about half of all higher education students in the United States. Oh, really? um, 
Yeah, yeah. So they're this uh, really, really important um, mm. institution that, that is, does not get anywhere near the recognition that it deserves. Um, or and the so funding, I, really I imagine. Or the funding, yeah, exactly. And, it, and it's not been moving in the right direction. But hopefully now with, uh, with Dr. Biden, um, very close, uh, we'll, uh, we'll get a little bit more recognition on that front. Um, but community colleges are really amazing because the populations that they serve um, are often these sort of non-traditional uh, students. So people who are outside of what you think of as the traditional university student, right? right. Um, and I was, I was looking at, at some statistics earlier and the numbers vary because it's really hard to say what is a traditional student and what is a non-traditional student. Um, but as little as 16% of all higher education students are what we think of as the uh, full-time undergraduate uh, 18 to 22 year olds um, whose sort of parents support them. Right. Uh, so it's a very, very, very small portion of, of our concept of, of uh, university students, or at least the concept that we may have from, you know, Animal House or, or something yes. like that. But, um, and, and that was a, a really fantastic opportunity for me, but it was uh, missing what I knew was a central element in my life. Um, I was doing really fantastic work um, and, and, and being able to, to meet a lot of amazing people from around the United States, but I was very much working on a domestic and a, and a national level. Right. Uh, so while I was in that role, um, uh, my, my boss was kind enough to, to help support me through graduate school. Um, so I did a, a graduate program in international education, uh, where we talked a lot about um, global educational policy issues and education for national development and that sort of thing, which then led me to join an organization called the International Baccalaureate, um, which took me out of higher ed uh, and worked in kind of the K through 12 sector, mm. but more internationally. Um, and so then I got to work with a, a very, very wide range of schools um, and really came to understand uh, some of the stark differences between public education and, um, you know, uh, international schools and what right. they provide and, and really get into the, the concept of learner development, um, which was really what the IB is about is, is um, how do you create curriculum and assessment to develop the, the individual, uh, mm. which was, was fascinating work um, and was with them for about seven years. And uh, in 2011, I believe, um, the Japanese government uh, started a project with the IB where they set a goal of introducing the International Baccalaureate's curriculum into 200 schools throughout Japan. And I was in the Singapore office um, at that time, um, working as sort of a higher education university liaison for the organization. So I came out to Japan um, relatively frequently to meet with different universities and to organize sessions to help the universities understand um, the IB curriculum. Uh, and through those, I uh, met a researcher at Osaka University um, who was studying the IB and she invited me to come do PhD with her, right. uh, and I accepted that invitation, and that gave me the opportunity to um, really set aside three years uh, to do a, a quite in-depth study of um, 
international strategic planning uh, at universities in East Asia, um, uh, including Singapore. Um, and, and so that again brought me back to both higher education, but, but looking at things from the institutional perspective once again. Um, and, and now, um, once I finished that program, I came over to Temple University, um, and which is a, a really fantastic role um, where I get to help uh, people, you know, the, through this continuing education program. Um, it, it's kind of, it merges everything, right? Yeah. I get to take the, the non-traditional learner background from the community colleges. Um, I get to take the international element because we're uh, basically the only fully functioning university, foreign university in Japan. Um, so as a branch campus, it's, it's really an inherently international institution. Um, you know, I get to work at the program level, but then I, I get to be um, quite deeply connected to a lot of the individual students um, and seeing their individual journeys. So uh, it's really this, this amazing mix of, of how sticking with one central idea um, but, but really a wide variety of roles can, can kind of eventually come mm. together in one place. Interesting. So you've taken um, education as this uh, red thread going all through, not quite knowing where it would, it's actually not quite this, it's kind of this path actually. Um, listeners, I'm, I'm doing waving hands. Mm. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll be able to laugh at me. But yeah, so there's a red thread going through um, with education at its heart, but as you said, there's the different pieces of, you know, the volunteer work in Azerbaijan and then the uh, community college stuff back in the States and mm -hmm. IB. And, and then now you're in this situation where you're really looking at um, mature, mostly mature. Well, you also have the undergrads are in the university as well, mm -hmm. right? right? But then the continuing education, uh, continuing education program, does it have elocution lessons? The <laughs> continuing education program, you know, is focusing on, um, uh, yeah, career, uh, people who are mid-career and beyond. What's the average age actually at TUJ's continuing mm -hmm. education? What sort of demographic? Sure. So our the average age of our student um, is probably in the early 40s. Right. Um, I think about 65% of our students are in their 30s and 40s. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, we do have some, you know, as young as, as 14, I believe. Oh, and wow. our oldest learner in the program is 92. 92 yeah which is which is really what do you mind telling me what that person's uh studying right now uh or right now the last class that he took was chinese uh, i believe um but he's he's a lifelong learner so he's right. a, he's a serial student with us and and um you know he goes through and, and takes a variety of personal interest and language development and, and all kinds of things so you know it's we, and we do see uh quite a few of those that are um you know, they, they do this as a, as a sort of this habitual practice of lifelong learning. Um, you know, we, we talk so much about skill development um, and education that is um, applicable and relevant. And uh, okay, we well, can gain these accounting skills or these business skills because they can help you in your career. Yeah. But there's also this element of, um, Learning keeps your brain elastic. Yes. Uh, it keeps it functioning. It keeps it sharp. Um, I, I think the, I don't know if this is an exact parallel, but if you think of those uh, seven habits of highly effective people, yes. the, the last habit is sharpening the saw, mm. right? 
Um, and so this continual process of learning can, can really help your, your brain be adaptive to new scenarios and, and keep it active and keep those neuron pathways, um, you know, acting like super highways as opposed to uh, cul-de-sacs maybe. Country yeah. roads, right? <laughs> um, so, so we do have quite a few people in the program who use it in that sense. Right. And I think that's the, uh, the fascinating connection to Ikigai and this idea of lifelong learning as, you know, a reason to get out of bed in the morning. I have a class. There is a teacher waiting for me. There are my classmates. There is the coursework. You know, there's there's something to to get up. So so one, I suppose, is the external accountability. There's mm -hmm. a societal um, and a connection, community connection, which is an important element of Ikigai. Um, but the other is just I just want to learn something like mm -hmm. there's so much in the world. So I, I'm properly full body goosebumps for this uh, 92 year old he's my hero i i hope i will still be uh, actively learning at, at 92 that's brilliant yeah. um and i'm a yes i'm a graduate of uh, the continued education program we were talking right. about that before yeah. and um whilst it was a fair few years ago um i think at the time though most of my learning was around that skill set like how mm. is this useful to my job um, so it's really interesting to think about there's yeah the, the job focus, the skill set, how is this basically going to make me more money? Mm -hmm. <laughs> how am I going to get promoted with this? Um, as well as, yeah, just the, the love of learning. And, and when we were talking uh, previously, we were discussing, you know, the hundred year life and uh, this gentleman that you talk of is, is one of those. And you talk something about the 60 year curriculum. Could yeah. you tell me a bit more about that, Justin? Sure. It's, it's really this, this fascinating concept um, that came out of a, a guy called uh, Gary Martin out of UC Irvine um, relatively recently. I think uh, 2017 or 16, mm. he might have coined this phrase. Um, and the concept is that uh, now, uh, as more of us are living to be 100 years old, um, the traditional three-stage um, uh, life model is, is no longer applicable or no longer relevant. So it used to be education, uh, work, maybe, what, 40 years of work, perhaps, mm. um, and then retirement. Uh, but it just doesn't, it doesn't look like that anymore. So a lot of us now are going to find ourselves um, probably in, in 60 years of, of work in our careers. Um, and with the rapid um, technological and, and social, uh, technological and social changes that, that happen in, uh, in the world, there's no way that the skill sets and the things that we learn um, through our more traditional early, early stages of life education are going to be, um, are going to serve us throughout that entire six decades worth of work. And That's true, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there, there's no way, right? Uh, how, how many people now uh, have made, you know, enormous fortunes off of social media? Um, and, and how many people have careers as social media marketers and, and this kind of thing? And, and uh, we, we wouldn't even blink an eye out of it. Well, what do you do? Oh, I'm a, I'm a social media marketer. Okay, that's normal. That's a normal mm. job. That job did not exist when we were in university. At least, <laughs> at least not when I was in university, right? Like, it didn't exist. So you're aging yourself there a bit, Justin, but. <laughs> bit. Um, you know, and, uh, and, and there's countless examples like yeah. that. Um, yeah, and, and jobs that are um, are just becoming obsolete. So I really love that website. Will, is it something? Do you remember University of Cambridge? Yeah, will robots take my job? Yeah. 
um, that's always useful. Facilitators and coaches still seem to be okay. Okay, okay. You picked a, you picked a great Ikigai. <laughs> but um, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Well, they, they talk about now that um, between 2018 and, in, sorry, in 2018, it was something, I'm sorry, I'm going to get the numbers a little bit wrong, but that relatively something about 28, 29% of work is done by robots and computers. Um, and by 2022, so next year, that number increases to 43%. 43? Uh, 42, wow. 42, 43, 43, but over yeah. 40%. So that's, um, you know, that's, that's in four years. Mm. Uh, and so our relationship with technology and with AI and with computers are, are really, really, really changing the landscape of um, the world of work, but they're doing it incredibly incredibly rapidly, and that's going to happen increasingly rapidly. So we ourselves need to do something to, you know, not necessarily to try to compete and, and try to um, advance our knowledge and our understanding faster than the computers do it, because that doesn't make any sense. But our relationship to AI and, and to technology is constantly evolving and constantly changing. And as that relationship changes and, and how we use it as a tool, we ourselves need to develop new understandings and new capacities so we can most effectively um, use these tools that, that are coming into existence. Uh, and so that requires this, this sort of hab habitual learning um, mm. where it, it's no longer like, okay, I go for my undergraduate and, and I major in this topic and it takes me three to four years. Um, it, it's gotta be this continually going back and saying, okay, this is the skill set that I need now um, for my for my either daily life or my daily work. And it's not always about work, right? Um, personal lives uh, require different skills and, and different knowledge at different stages. Um, I've recently come into a situation where uh, I'm starting to think a lot about my financial future. Mm. Um, so we, we had a, a kid recently and, yeah. and uh, that has changed my relationship with money and investing um and uh so you know i recently within our own program took a class on, on real estate investment um not because i'm necessarily thinking that's something that is, is i don't need it for my job that's that's true but um you know i may be at a place where you know i need to start thinking about the future of not only myself but somebody else um so how do i best prepare for that um, and that, that never changed in my, in my life. You know, I, I could have done that when I was 20. Um, you know, I was always going to have to probably think about this, <laughs> but it just wasn't a priority. Yeah. Then. So being a dad, uh, becoming a dad was sort of a, a catalyst for, okay, now we need to, to think about that and having a, a, a young child makes you re reassess realign mm -hmm. your your ikigai um and what's what's useful for you i think just different yeah different life experiences different stages are going to yeah there. make people think that so so when you think about the you know the types of programs that um you're running now at, at mm -hmm. temple and, and maybe what would happen in the future um looking at this idea of a 60-year curriculum and if someone said, well, like, where, where do I start? Like, how, mm -hmm. 
what should I study? <laughs> like there's so much knowledge in the world, <laughs> and, you know, uh, whether it's Temple or any other provider, you know, there's, there's not a shortage of knowledge or access to courses in the world. So how, how do I decide? Well, I think you have to, you have to set some goals. Um, and I think you have to balance your, your goals and your ambitions with your, with your interests. Mm. Uh, so there are different ways you can approach it. Um, what am I, what am I interested in? Um, what do I not know enough about that? That sort of, I wish I knew something about yeah. that. That kind of gets me a little bit excited. And this can be even for like a hobby. Uh, so something like photography or, or cooking or, or something like that um, is if you're just trying to go from where you are to take it to the next level, to take that next step, um, then, then find something that, that interests you. Um, and I think that is definitely one approach and that will at least help you start to form the, the habit of learning. Um, and so whatever hobbies or interests you have in your own life, you're, you're moving down this, this path of, of development. Um, you know, uh, being in Japan and, and being an educator that, that's worked internationally, uh, language learning has always been there, there's sort of this national obsession with, with language learning um, in Japan. Mm. Uh, it, it's this, there's a- I'm really biting my tongue. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a constant rhetoric on, on both the international and the domestic side um, about language learning and whether that's uh, learning Japanese or learning English or, or what have you. Um, and so you hear a lot like, what's the best study method? Um, how do I, how do you get to the level of getting an M2 or getting a certain score on TOEFL or, or something like that? And, and one of the things that I always tell people is that, um, yeah, studying is important, but if you're studying just to study, you're probably going to get burnt out. You're probably yeah. not going to progress very far uh, because it's a chore um, and you need to find some reason why you're doing this. So what is it about speaking Japanese or what is it about speaking English that, that motivates you? Um, and, and so is it you want to, and this is especially true working with you know, undergraduate Japanese students um, who perhaps aren't, aren't motivated to, to learn English, um, but they may be very motivated to understand a particular song or you know, to be able to interact and, and do things when they go on vacation to sing. Singapore, Taiwan, Hawaii, or New York, or what have yeah. you, um, and so you you have to personalize it a little bit. So so what are your interests, um, and then find outlets or opportunities that can align to that. So that's I think one path of um, okay, where do I start? So really, the other really is may I just uh, hmm. summarize my understanding? Um, so. Not just having that goal and understanding what it is that you want is not going to be enough to drive you through the learning experience. You have to have that personal connection to the output or to the, the use case of the study if you want to actually mm -hmm. be able to finish the course. That, that sounds uh, quite true when I think about my current uh, Japanese study, which is non, because I've got to a level <laughs> where I can, you know, function in society, I can do some business in it. Um, so I don't have that strong motivation anymore to go back and hit the books and, you know, 
getting my N, right. uh, N1, as it's called now, it, I don't, don't really care. So it's, it's not going to happen for me when there's all these other things I could study. Um, but thinking about other people as well, I'm just remembering what I, I studied accounting mm -hmm. at um, <laughs> laughing to remember it. And I knew I would never be an accountant. You know, it was, I think it was finance for non-financial managers was the name of the course. And it was okay. a great course. Um, but I really approached it more from what is, what's the solving of the puzzle, mm. right? And also what, though- What do you mean by that? Um, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't doing it because I wanted to become an accountant. Right. It was how much do I need to know in order to be functioning at the next level in my job. Got it. Mm -hmm. um, so I just need to get to that level and that will be fine. So I think something as well about with that type of study though, if that's your only connection to it, yeah, you're, you're not gonna be getting an A grade. It's a, it's a, a solid passes. Sure. So I think also disconnecting that for continuing education as well, which is, was tough for me to do. Well, um, and I think, yeah. I think you raise a really important point though is, um, you know, specialization is incredibly important uh, in, in today's world of work, right? Um, general, if you're a generalist, um, uh, that, that can help you in a lot of ways, but we're increasingly needing to be uh, specialists in particular areas. Um, but having an understanding of those fields that you're not a specialist in uh, is extraordinarily helpful because you, you have to have some concept of that there is this depth um, that exists in these other areas. Uh, and so knowing that when you interact, if you're in a big company, for example, and, and you have to interact with the finance team, um, you know, having some kind of understanding of what they need to go through mm. um, in order for, to make certain things happen. Um, or in the case where you're running your own business, um, even if you're outsourcing um, perhaps your taxes or, or help, having somebody help you with these accounting things, um, you, you want to know if you're getting quality work in return, right? right. So, so having a basic structure of an outline, I think, is really important. There's increasingly this T model of education uh, that um, a lot of schools are trying to develop these learners that have quite a, a breadth of understanding um, in, in many, many different areas, um, sort of the liberal arts model, if you will, right? Um, but then one deep Mm. Um, sort of specialized understanding in a particular area. Uh, so it's kind of paying attention to both sides of that. So, uh, you know, I think your example is, is right on. Right. So I, uh, I was summarizing and you're about to talk about the, the second, the second mm. way to get started. So, sure. so continue. The, the, <laughs> yeah. So the first way basically is where are you at uh, and what interests you? Mm. Um, and so where can be the next step? The, the second way is to kind of map backwards map it, right? Um, where is it that you want to go long term? Uh, and then what can help you get there? Uh, so you go sort of, depends on your, your vision and your goals and your thinking, but if you look far into the future or perhaps not that far into the future and you're like, I want to start my own business, for example. Um, I've, I've got an idea, uh, but I don't necessarily know how to go about the, this whole thing. Um, and so there are particular skill sets that may be able to help you in that. And you're not going to develop all of them overnight, um, but you can say, okay, uh, I need a basic fun fundamental understanding of accounting, uh, human resource management, um, business planning, 
uh, and, and these different other elements and so start acquiring both the knowledge and the skill sets as well as the networks that are going to help you reach that goal one day. Um, so, you know, I guess in my, in my personal case, for example, um, especially in Japan, but I think in a lot of different countries, there's a, a concept of uh, an academic as a researcher. And so if you go for a PhD, um, you're, you're mainly doing that because you have a, a deep and green fascination with a, a particular question that you want to dedicate your life to. Um, and so you develop this, this enormous research project around it. And, and oftentimes the end goal is to be a professor at a university so that you can then spend your life researching this topic. Mm. Um, and that's a, that's a very, very common conception um, for a lot of academics and, and why somebody would go for a PhD. Um, so in my case, you know, it was, I was in my uh, mid-30s, I guess, at that point. And so I was past the point of, of people entering school normally. Um, and I didn't do it with the objective of, of setting out to be um, an academic in the traditional sense. Uh, but um, for what I did want to do uh, in terms of working fairly high up at the institutional level in the educational sector, um, really getting the opportunity to be involved in strategic planning and setting the directions for uh, an organization that could potentially help the lives of, of millions of people um, in order to, to reach that level, okay, I'm going to need, in this case, it was a credential. Um, but it also was uh, a couple of different skill sets that came out of that PhD, the research background, um, you know, the opportunity to teach in, in uh, tertiary education and these kinds of things. So for me, it was like, okay, um, I need to check these four or five boxes and acquire these skills and, and perhaps these credentials in order to, you know, eventually at some point in my career, get to this kind of place where I think that I can bring the most value and have the biggest positive impact. Um, so I'm, I'm not quite there yet for sure. Um, uh, I'm not quite there yet for sure, but you know, that developing that foundation um, has, is going to keep those doors open in the future. Interesting. Because, yeah, sometimes I see people are, you know, following certification, following learning things, and it can seem like, um, I can't even think of what the word is, you know, putting off like um, uh, a strategy to avoid taking action, like, and I'm going to get another PhD and I'm going to get this and I'm going to, you know, take this course and do this thing rather than actually just do the work and get my idea out. But I like the way that you have also described it as a sort of hygiene factors. You know, you can't necessarily get that type of role unless you have this credential. And whilst it's all great to say that the world is a meritocracy and you should do it based on, you know, uh, being the best candidate, there are sometimes things where it's just, it's not going to be impossible if you don't have a PhD but the level of scrutiny which you will be under as a candidate or as a potential member of whatever this organization is, is going to be so much higher that you just, you know, it's just hard. So if having that PhD experience and all those other skill sets that you described came with it, Justin, are going to make that later on easier, then it's, it's a worthwhile I don't want to say the word investment, but I'm going to say it, investment of your time and, uh, you know, of your life to, to get that 
as an understanding of this is how the world is is currently working in this sphere Mm -hmm. and there's no there's you know there's no one in these hallowed halls who isn't a phd so if that's what it requires then i'm going to get a phd because i i that's where i see as you said um i can offer the most value and have the most impact right exactly and and this can be applied in in lots of different situations so if you think about um i think there's probably a lot of your listeners um uh, you know are thinking about their own career development right and, and yeah. they want to get to a place um, where they're managing teams or perhaps managing divisions and managing several teams, for example. Because um, uh, really, once you get to that point, uh, you not only have the reward of, of doing the work, but you have the, the reward of mentorship and, and being able to help other people reach their goals and, and kind of come up, in a, which is extremely, extremely rewarding. Yeah. Um, but to get to that point, uh, you need to be a good manager. Right, um, and so you you do things now um, that are going to help set the stage to develop your leadership skills, to develop your negotiation skills and your management capacities, um, so that when you are in charge of your team, you can you can help them achieve uh, better, which is you know going to help you move up to the to the next level if, if that's your goal, and and so it's it's thinking about. Um, you know, what can I start to do now that may not be the end goal, but is going to at least help me develop the foundation that is going to make it easier to get to, to where it is I want to go. Okay. So you talked a little bit about, um, you know, some of the ways that you can get started with the, the working backwards um, and deciding what that end goal is and what do I require to do that or, you know, going with the idea of your your interests and, and, and where you feel like Excel, this course sounds cool, kind of, uh, I think that was some of the ways I chose that I did the wine course at Temple University. And that was definitely mm. a, this sounds cool thing to do with my husband. And it was a cool thing to do with my husband. And we had a great time. Um, one of the other things though, is to think about is what, you know, what type of study, how, how do I study? So could you talk a little bit about that? And obviously, you know, there's a, a Temple has an undergraduate offerings and continuing education and again in the world there's also various MOOCs and open courses and all of those things so what are your thoughts and suggestions for people who are also over overwhelmed with all the opportunities out there for learning which is a nice champagne problem to have isn't it absolutely yeah, that, that is a fantastic question because we're at a place in, in history now where the the number of choices and the types of options are, are unprecedented. Mm. Um, there's no lack of content and, informa and information out there, right? You, if you are motivated, you can become an expert on any topic in the world with simply a computer and internet connection. Um, it's very, very, very difficult for an individual to have that discipline um, and to have that sort of critical understanding where they're able to um, figure out what the best sources of information are for a particular topic. Uh, if you search marketing, for example, you're going to come up with, um, you know, a list of hundreds of different keywords. Um, and you could, it's hard to know well, what are the five that are most important? What are the, what are the, the foundational principles um, or the theories that I need to understand and, and being able to apply to, to the field in general? So, Courses in education are a way of kind of taking all of that information in the world 
and curating them. Um, mm. So having somebody who has experience with them, either as an academic, a researcher, or a practitioner, um, and sort of bringing these important points together. And now we're in a place where that can happen in quite a wide variety of different ways. Um, you can go onto YouTube and you know you can follow some people and, and it's it's receptive. You're not you're probably not doing um, a lot of critical research uh, by but you can at least start to know if this is interesting, if I can absorb it, um, if I can see connections with my life and and start to understand some basic you know fundamental principles. Um, you can get a little bit deeper and go into what's called asynchronous online learning, um, mm -hmm. which basically is something like Coursera or Udemy or LinkedIn Learning, um, where you can go and you can work through a series of videos um, and maybe take a couple of quizzes and you do them at your own pace. Uh, and this can be really, really effective for short-term skill development, um, where, you know, when I... I, every job I've ever had um, since lynda.com started, I think back in the, the mid 2000s, um, I've always made sure that, um, you know, asked my, my, my employer that they give me an account um, so that whatever I'm going through uh, early stages in my career, um, I had to, you know, develop some brochures and things like that. And, and I'd never done that before. Mm. Uh, and so first thing I did was go into lynda.com, learn about a little bit of graphic design and uh, what is it like the golden, uh, a golden ratio. Yeah. The golden yeah. ratio and, and things like that um, to be able to, okay, well now I can, can do this. I had to build a database at one point. So these sort of short-term courses um, where you don't really need an instructor, you just need the information organized. You need to be able to practice a little bit uh, and then kind of do that skill. These can be really helpful. Um, and then we can go on to something like where you take an individual course, um, which as you sort of alluded to earlier, has the benefit of a, a shared learning experience mm -hmm. um, where you are responsible to other people, uh, you're accountable to the instructor to do the homework, you're perhaps working in teams. Um, and, and this helps you to keep motivated, but it also has the advantage of and, and this is especially true for adult learning, is um, when you're in a, a class with maybe 5, 10, 15, 20 other individuals who are perhaps at similar stages in their lives and their careers, but come from different backgrounds, come from different countries, that adds this very rich element of, mm. of discussion to the classroom and being able to bring together perspectives um, from different walks of lives and, and different professional backgrounds um, that you may not normally think of. So it, it, it's a quite a different experience than, you know, combing through content yeah. online that's, that's curated for you. Yeah. Um, that's definitely, then, um, definitely what I took away as one of the strongest pieces of the learning from my continuing education experience at Temple. And mm -hmm. then when I work as a facilitator, if it's just, you know, one way teaching, uh, you know, uh, sort of uh, uh, standing at the front and telling you what you all think, then the, the retention is so low. And then the un being able to apply that skill set when mm -hmm. you're back at your desk without your textbook open, you know, the chance of that is, is, is almost nothing. Or like, what do I do when it's not exactly this way? I can remember, oh, that's what, you know, Tayo said about uh, what was happening in his company. Maybe that's what's happening here. 
I can perhaps apply that knowledge. So it's really, really powerful to uh, develop a sort of critical awareness of how to apply the skills. Mm -hmm. And how to apply them to different situations. Mm. There's going back to this concept of the the 60-year curriculum and the 60-year work life. um, As your situation and your context constantly changes, you need to take the skills you have and transfer them um, to new contexts. And that can only be done through deep learning. Um, so you really engage with a, a topic or some content or a subject to the point that you internalize it. And so those skills and that knowledge is no longer applicable just to the one situation that you studied in. But OK, well, here's a new context. Um, I've never encountered this before, mm-hmm. but I can take the, the things that I learned previously, and I understand it at a deep enough level that I can figure out how to apply it to this new context. Right. Um, and you know, language learning is like that a lot too, right? You do these, um, you do these repetition of these scenarios as you're learning Japanese over and over and over again. Um, but eventually, your vocabulary and your grammar gets deep enough to the point that you can start to engage with new contexts and new scenarios that you've never. Right. Um, and so, you know, the learning, it's not just languages, but any subject. Uh, that yes, happen. like, oh, we have to deal with a pandemic now. So how do I, right. how do I apply those skill sets in this now? Perfect example. And so you were talking about, you know, having this shared, this shared class or course experience. And then I guess the, the next level is. Is a is degree, a, right? It's a degree level, yeah. Where you're, you're looking at two to three to four years of um, fairly rigorous study um, on a very narrow topic um, that ultimately uh, should come out with something new, something novel, um, something that you created um, based on that couple years of, of or, or several years of study. Um, so once you get into these, these sort of higher levels of, of education, it becomes less about um, pulling in information from more mm. places and more sources as opposed to taking something, uh, designing a study to discover new information and then putting that out there into the world. Um, Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I love that idea of, uh, of I, I've, I've always felt that, you know, the degree education as, as it was positioned to me when uh, in the three-stage life was very much about, yeah, taking, taking on knowledge. Mm-hmm. Well, I really appreciate what you said then, Justin, about, you know, bringing together, it's like you bring together now, if you come back as a mature student, you know, all your life experiences, all those different things that you've done, and then you ask a question in a new way to find this new knowledge mm-hmm. and bringing that new knowledge into the world. Um, Which I understand is uh, in part, part of the reason that we're having this conversation now, right? Yes. Uh, you, you are, you know, maybe you're not doing it at a university, but it's the same concept. You're taking your life experiences and now taking the life experiences of other people and, and bringing that together into something new, right? Yes. And then the, the listener or the watcher will take all of these tidbits of information and, and decide how they want to apply it in the new way um, to their new situation in their life as well. Oh, amazing. Mm-hmm. Who'd have thought? Who'd have thought? There we go. So uh, the final question that I have is uh, really for you to, you know, take the stage, free microphone now. Um, If there's one piece of advice that you will give to someone who is 
looking to to find their purpose, to find their ikigai, mm. and maybe education is the way. Where do they start? That is, it's a very difficult question, right? Uh, I save it, it till the end. <laughs> yeah, and it, it definitely depends on on where people are at with their lives. Um, I would say two things. I would say one is um, to approach it with open eyes, open heart, open mind. Um, when I was younger and, and my whole life, um, but you know, in my twenties, I, I traveled a lot. Um, and a lot of people would always tell me, oh, you're so lucky that you get to do that. Um, and I always found that to be such a strange comment because uh, from my perspective, luck had not, yeah, perhaps in some, you know, I was um, fortunate enough to, to be mobile and, and these kinds of things, but um, it had to do with my priorities. It had to do with what I thought was important in life and, and what I mm. wanted to do. Um, and, and I never thought like, I never really looked at the barriers to like, oh, I can't travel because of this, this, and this. If I did, then it was like, well, how can I remove those barriers? Um, so I, I would say that one piece of advice I would have is that there's always going to be excuses. Um, there's always going to be reasons not to do it. There's always going to be challenges. There's never going to be a perfect time. Uh, so just take <laughs> that, that first step. Um, start small if you want or, or start huge, you know. Uh, make a, a total life change uh, and just don't give it a whole lot of thought. Um, and just <laughs> Sounds do it. like how I started my business, but there yeah, you go. <laughs> exactly. You know, you, there was some in, thought. You, but, you yeah. jump in with both feet and you sort of, you learn to swim. Um, but, but don't approach these things with like the, this kind of, I can't mentality or it's too hard mm. or um, I don't know where to start. Well, if you don't know where to start, then just start anywhere. Yeah. Uh, really. Um, and you're either going to find you like it or you don't like it. Mm. Um, so that's one. The other is probably more boring piece of advice, uh, but it's for me, it's been really helpful is um, the idea of forming habits. Mm. Um, you know, I, I have to make things habitual in my life. And my, my sort of my inspiration for that was uh, Vince Lombardi, who was a, quite a famous um, American football coach um, for the Green Bay Packers. Um, and he's uh, often the, the, taken out of context, but winning isn't um, the only thing. Winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. Uh, and his whole thing was you, his team has to practice um, as if they're playing the most important game. Um, and it's by setting up these habits um, that eventually when you're faced with the more difficult situations, um, it's really not that challenging because you've already sort of established these habits. And, and so you talked a little bit before about, you know, what is your ikigai? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, what helps you start to the day? For me, I, I, I don't do mornings well. Uh, <laughs> I, I do not jump out of bed in the morning at all. Um, but, you know, I've, I've set up sort of habits and routines that have progressively made it easier throughout my life. Um, and so I think it's really important to find ways to make learning habitual. Now, that doesn't mean you have to take a class every semester or mm. get an account subscription to um, LinkedIn learning or anything like that, but um, you're always going to encounter things in your life and you're always going to have free time and free periods on the weekend or something. And so how can you integrate learning into your sort of daily or weekly or, or yearly routines? Um, and then how can you build good habits from uh, so those would be my, my two pieces right. of advice. 
And uh, my, my two sort of uh, ideas which came up as I was listening to you. So one is uh, on the first part about there'll always be excuses. I've just started to read the uh, autobiography in translation, I will admit, of uh, Yao Yoik Sama mm. and how she went to America um, after seven years of fighting with her family. And it was pretty hard for a single Japanese woman to just get to America, but she just did it. You know, she wrote a letter to Georgia O'Keeffe Wow. and said please help me <laughs> come to america <laughs> and she did uh so you know kasama san just wouldn't accept the excuses and, and had this dream and 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 did it and kind of got out of dodge um which was what she needed for her art um and then the the sort of second point which i've forgotten i wish i'd taken a note now oh my goodness what's that interviewer what, what was your second point you were talking about Habits, yes, and learning. Thank you. Uh, so in the group Make March Matter that I run, every mm -hmm. Friday we do uh, you know, a review of the week, what went well, like you know, big and little wins, um, anything you didn't achieve this week. But the really useful question is what did you learn? Mm -hmm. And how will you apply that in the future? And so whilst we are not necessarily in a, you know, formal education, um, as people running their own businesses through a pandemic, everyone is going oh yes what did i learn this week and it's really interesting again you're hearing from people from all different industries all different walks of lives but what we have in common is that we small are all small business owners mm -hmm. and yeah what did you learn this week right and what and the habit that you are talking about is the habit of reflection yes so looking back and seeing what lessons that's exceptionally important so yeah. that's, a, that's a very good habit to get those people to have right Thank you. So unfortunately, we are out of time, uh, but people can find you at uh, all the various links, which will be in the show notes to find out more about continuing education at Temple University. Uh, other places are also available if you are not in Japan. Uh, but one great thing about COVID actually for uh, people who are in Japan is that there's more access. You don't need to be in Tokyo anymore to join many of the courses, right? Right, absolutely. We have we have quite a lot of online, either actually remote taught or fully online asynchronous. Um, but you know, it doesn't matter where you are. One of the, the nice things is there's always going to be uh, local institutions, local universities that are doing something like this. Um, they're really these amazing community resources for people to take advantage of. So we're we're very happy to support our community here in Tokyo and uh, Japan more widely and, and increasingly globally. Um, but uh, there's, there's many others doing this as well. Uh, so I would, you know, the, the takeaway really is um, you have support, you have help, um, so no matter what you want to do. And, and if you want to get in touch with me personally on LinkedIn or something like that and, and not talk about Temple at all, but uh, just get some advice. <laughs> talk about sleep regression with an eight-month-old. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm, I'm more than happy to support. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Justin. And um, I hope that all uh, the listeners and viewers of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai can still be uh, loving and learning at, uh, at 92 years old, like uh, your student is. What an inspiration. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank I you. really appreciate it. Have a great day. You too. Thank you so much for listening today. I really hope that you found something you could take away from the episode to help you find your own Ikigai and integrate it into your daily life. And I'd love to hear exactly what resonated with you. 
So pop over to see me on LinkedIn or on my Facebook page. You can find the links in the show notes below. And let me know what you thought was the most important takeaway from the podcast today. And sharing is caring. So feel free to share this episode with one of your friends who you think could benefit from hearing about living a life of purpose. Looking forward to see you on the next episode of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai.